Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you little lovelies, to your next Stories, Fables, Ghostly Tales episode. Today, I wanted to surprise you with something different, something unusual. Today, folks, is all about poems. Now, these poems are handpicked by me because they're either unique, strange, funny, and good enough to share with those that I cherish. You lovely listeners, I bring you nine poems, mates. Big and small, with a little bit of bite and a little bit of wit. In order, I bring you A Modest Wit, Typewriter, Byzantinium, A Ballad of John Silver, The Tragedy, The Lockless Door, Prometheus, Night Shift, and The Living Picture. After each one, I provide a little anecdote to share what I think about the poem and also get your thoughts. So turn off the lights, get cozy with a cuppa. And enjoy your poem supper. A Modest Wit by Selick Osborne A superciliest nabob of the East, haughty being great, purse-proud being rich, a governor or general at the least, I have forgotten which, had in his family a humble youth who went from England in his patron's suite an unassuming boy in truth, a lad of decent parts and good repute. This youth had sense and spirit, but yet with all his sense, excessive diffidence obscured his merit. One day at table flush with pride and wine, his honour, proudly free, severely merry, conceived it would be vastly fine to crack a joke upon his secretary. Young man, he said, by what art, craft, or trade, did your good father gain a livelihood? He was a saddler, sir, Modestus said, and in his time was reckoned good. A saddler, eh? And taught you Greek? Instead of teaching you to sew? Pray why did not your father make a saddler, sir, of you? Each parasite then, as in duty bound, the joke applauded and the laugh went round. At length Modestus, bowing low, said, Craving pardon, if too free he made. Sir, by your leave, I fain would know your father's trade. My father's trade? By heaven, that's too bad. My father's trade? Why, blockhead, are you mad? My father, sir, did never stoop so low. He was a gentleman, I'd have you know. Excuse the liberty I take, Modestus said with archness on his brow. Bray, why did not your father make a gentleman of you? That has to be the first poem I've ever read where a man is going to have to be sent to hospital for the sickest verbal burn he'd ever receive in his life. <laughs> that youth is young in age, but wise in wit. Such a brilliant little poem. My Typewriter by Edward Dyson I have a trim typewriter now. They tell me none is better. It makes a pleasing rhythmic row. And neat is every letter. I take out stories by machine, dig pars and gags and verses keen, and lay them off in manner slick. It is so easy and it's quick. And yet it falls short, I'm afraid, of giving satisfaction. This making literature by aid of scientific traction. For often I can't fail to see 
The dash thing runs away with me. It bolts and do whatever I may. I cannot hold the runaway. It is not fitted with a brake. And endless are my verses, nor any yarn I start to make, appropriately terses. Tis plain that this machine-made screed is fit but for machines to read. So wanted as an iron sensor, a good sound second-hand condenser. Oh, I love this little poem. The stresses of using a new machine, the new learning curve that people would have had to deal with when this machine came along, really puts in perspective how the typewriter has evolved into the computer we use today, right? Short and sweet this one, but full of old school gripe. Sailing to Byzantium by William Butler Yeats That is no country for old men, the young, in one another's arms, birds in the trees, those dying generations at their song. The salmon falls, the mackerel crowded seas, fish, flesh, or fowl commend all summer long. Whatever is begotten, born, and dies, caught in that sensual music all neglect, monuments of unaging intellect. An aged man is but a paltry thing, a tattered coat upon a stick, unless soul clap its hand and sing, and louder sing. For every tatter in its mortal dress, nor is there singing school but studying, monuments of its own magnificence. And therefore I have sailed the seas and come to the holy city of Bicentennium. O sages standing in God's holy fire, as in the gold mosaic of a wall, come from the holy fire, pern in a gyre, and by the singing masters of my soul, consume my heart away, sick with desire and fastened to a dying animal, it knows not what it is, and gather me into the artifice of eternity. Once out of nature I shall never take my bodily form from any natural thing, but such a form as Grecian goldsmiths make, of hammered gold and gold enameling, to keep a drowsy emperor awake, or sit upon a golden bow to sing, to lords and ladies of Byzantinium, of what is past, or passing, or to come. So I think what this poem is discussing is the author's memory of Bicentinium, the place, the people, the experiences, all of which earned over the course of his life. And it discusses the desire that threatens to control him. Again, the things, the people, the places, and the lords and ladies that inhabit that place. Just an anecdote or an account of his experiences there. A really interestingly written poem on a very interesting place indeed. A Ballad of John Silver by John Macefield We were schooner-rigged and rakish, with a long and lissome hull, and we flew the pretty colours of the crossbones and the skull. We had a big black jolly roger flapping grimly at the fore, and we sailed the Spanish waters in the happy days of yore. We'd a long brass gun at midships, like a well-conducted ship. We had each a brace of pistols and a cutlass at the hip. It's a point which tells against us, and a fact to be deplored. But we chased the goodly merchantmen and lay their ships aboard. Then the dead men fouled the scuppers, and the wounded filled the chains, and the paintwork all was spatterdashed with other people's brains. She was boarded, she was looted, she was scuttled till she sank, and the pale survivors left us by the medium of the plank. Oh, then it was, while standing by the terrible on the poop, we could hear the drowning folk lament the absent chicken coop. Then, having washed the blood away, we had little else to do. Dan to dance a quiet hornpipe as the old salts taught us to. 
Oh, the fiddle of the foxhole, and the slipping naked soles, and the genial down the middle, Jake, and curtsy when she rolls, with the silver seeds around us, and the pale moon overhead, and the lookout not a-lookin', and his pipe bowl glowing red. Ah, the pigtailed quitting pirates, and the pretty pranks we played, all have since been put a stop to by the naughty board of trade. The schooners and the merry crews are laid away to rest, a little south the sunset in the islands of the blessed. Ah, I love ballads so much, and this poem really hits home as to why. The personality, the line hooks that pull the reader in about the days of old, pirate lingo and merchant theft, pushing people off the plank, all of it is just awesome and a joy to read. I hope you like this one, mates. The Tragedy by Henry Lawson Oh, I never felt so wretched, and things never looked so blue, since the days I gulped the psychic that my granny used to brew, for a friend in whom I trusted entering my room last night. Stole a bottle full of Henzo from the desk whereon I write. I am certain sure he did it, though he never would let on. For all last week he had a cold, and today his cough is gone. Now I'm sick and sore and sorry, and I'm sad for friendship's sake. It was better than the cough cure that our granny used to make. Oh, he might have pinched my whiskey, and he might have pinched my beer, or all the fame or money that I make while writing here. Or he might have shook the blankets and I'd not have made a row if he'd only left my Henzo till the morning, anyhow. So I've lost my faith in mateship, which was all I had to lose, since I lost my faith in Russia and myself and got the blues. And so trust turns to suspicion, and so friendship turns to hate. Even Kaiser Bill would never pinch his Henzo from a mate. So this poem was 100% written as an advertisement for Henzo, and I love how a simple poem really articulates both its usefulness and that it's important and effective enough to build a friendship on. <laughs> what a gem of a poem, and an effective advertisement. The Luckless Door by Robert Lee Frost It went many years, but at last came a knock, and I thought of the door with no lock to lock. I blew out the light and tiptoed the floor, and raised both hands in prayer to the door. But the knock came again, my window was wide, I climbed on the sill and descended outside. Back over the sill I bade a come in, to whoever the knock at the door may have been. So at a knock I emptied my cage, to hide in the world, and alter with age. This little gem of a poem carries with it a great message, at least to me. To me, the lockless door expresses a knock of opportunity on a person's life, and especially on a person who feels like they live in a cage, trapped in a room with a door that never opens or need not open. But then, there is a knock. The poem explores how this person leaves their cage of safety to explore, change, grow, and ergo, alter in life. It's really a neat little poem. And I wonder if that's your takeaway from this as well. Prometheus by George Gordon Byron Titan, to whose immortal eyes the suffering of mortality, seen in their sad reality, were not as things that gods despise. What was thy pity recompense, a silent suffering and intense? The rock, the vulture, and the chain, all that the proud can feel of pain. The agony they did not show, 
the suffocating sense of woe, which speaks but in its loneliness, and then in jealous lest the sky should have a listener, nor will sigh, until its voice is echoless. Titan, to thee the strife was given, between the suffering and the will, which torture were they cannot kill, and the inexorable heaven, and the deaf tyranny of fate, the ruling principle of hate, which for its pleasure doth create the things it may annihilate, refuse thee even the boon to die, the wretched gift eternity. Was thine, and thou hast borne it well, or that the thunderer wrung from thee, was but the menace which flung back on him the torments of thy rack. The fate thou didst so well foresee, but would not appease him to tell, and in thy silence and his sentence, and in his soul a vain repentance, and evil dread, so ill dissembled, that in his hand the lightnings trembled. Thy godlike crime was to be kind, to render why thy precepts less, the sum of human wretchedness, and strengthen man with his own mind, but baffled as though wert from high, still in thy patient energy, in the endurance and repulse of thine impenetrable spirit, which earth and heaven could not convulse. A mighty lesson we inherit, though art a symbol and a sign to mortals of their fate and force. Like thee, man is in part divine. A troubled stream from a pure source, and a man in portions can foresee his own funeral destiny. His wretchedness and his resistance, and his sad unallied existence, to which his spirit may oppose itself and equal to all woes, and a firm will and a deep sense which even in torture can descry, its own concentrated recompense triumphant where it dare defy, and making death a victory. So this poem by George Gordon Byron is an homage to one of his favourite Greek tales, Prometheus, the titan that gives fire to humans and passes on the beginnings of human intellect. The poem makes comment to how once Prometheus was found out, he was punished, tortured for giving humanity a chance to grow and evolve. The gods tied him to a rock where an eagle would eat his liver day in and day out, and every night that liver would grow back to repeat the process over and over for eternity. Pretty messed up, but a really well-written poem. Night Shift by Edward Dyson Hello, that's the whistle, be moving. Wake up, don't lie muttering there. What language, your style is improving. It's pleasant to hear you at prayer. Turn out, man, and spare us the blessing. Cribs cut and the teas on the brew. You'll have to look slippy in dressing, for that was the half hour that blew. Half past and the night's simply awful. The hut fairly shakes in the storm. Hang night shifts, they shouldn't be lawful. I've only had time to get warm. I notice the hut's rarely bright, and the bunk always cold as a stone. Except when I get on at night, and the half-after whistles have blown. Bob built up that fire, just to spite me. The conscienceless son of a swab. By Jove, it would fairly delight me, to let Hogan be hanged with his job. Oh, it's easy to preach of contentment. You're eloquent all on the flute. Old Nick's everlasting resentment. Plague Dick if he's taken my boot. Great Caesar, you roasted the liquor. Whoever it was made the tea. It's hotter than hell broth and thicker. Fried bacon again, not for me. Good night and be hanged, stir up Stumpy. You look very happy and warm. 
I'll hoist half the back of the humpy and give you a taste of the storm. We laughed as he went away growling, but down where the wind whipped the creek, the storm like old fury was howling, and Fred was on top for the week. A devil's own night for the braceman, muttered Con in its comfort to know. All withers are one to the faceman, all shifts are alight down below. We slept and the storm was receding. The wind moaned a dirge overhead, when men brought him broken and bleeding, and laid him again on the bed. We saw by the flame burning dimly, the grey hue of death on his face. The stoker enlightened us grimly. No hope. He was blown from the brace. So my interpretation of this poem is that these men are working on a ship, in the middle of a storm, and it tells the tale of those enduring these conditions, the weather they deal with, the human challenges they face in such an environment, and how one of their shipmates was torn from the brace that held them to the mast. Such a terrifying tale of the kind of work people had to endure in those days. Goodness. The Living Picture by Edward Dyson He rode along one splendid noon, when all the hills were lit with spring, and through the bushland throbbed a croon of every living, hopeful thing. Between his teeth a rosy boar, as white as milk, and passing there, he tossed it with a laugh, I wore it as it fell among my hair. No day a drip with golden rain, no heat with drench of wattle scent, can touch the heart of me again, but with that young sweet wonder blent. We wed upon a gusty day, when baffled fury whipped the sea, and now I love the swift wet play of wind and rain besetting me. I took white roses in my hand, a white rose on my forehead shone, for we had come to understand white roses bloomed for us alone. When scarce a year had gone, he sped to fight the wars with eyes grown grim. He kissed my lips and whispering said, The world we must keep sweet for him. He wrote of war, the soldier's life. Tis hard, my dearest, but be brave. I did not make my love my wife to be the mother of a slave. My babe was born a boy. He had his father's eyes, his smile, his hair. And oh, my soul was brimming glad. It seemed his father's self was there. But now came one who bade me still, in holy heaven put my trust. There laid my love beneath the hill and sealed his eyes with timeless dust. Against my breast the babe I drew with strength from him to stay my fears. I fought my fight the long days through. He laughed and dabbled in my tears. For my poor heart at which it fed, with tiger teeth I thrust despair, and faced a world with shadows spread, and only echoes in the air. The winter waned, one eve I went, led by a kindly hand to see. In moving scenes the churches rent, the tumbled hill, the blasted lee. Of soldiers resting by the road, who smoked and drowsed a muddy rout. One sprang alert and forward strode, with eager eyes to seek us out. His fingers held a rose, he threw the flower and waved his cap. In me a frenzy of assurance grew. For, oh dear, twas he, twas he! I called aloud, aloft my child I held, and nearer yet he came. And when he understood and smiled, my baby lisped his father's name. They say I fell like something dead, but when I awoke to morning's glow, 
my boy sat by me on the bed, and in his hand, a rose of snow. This poem is a heartbreaker. The tale of a husband going to war to fight for his wife so that she'd never be a slave, and a white rose signifying his love for her. The analysis of this poem gets tricky though at the end, and people deviate between two schools of thought. The first thought is that when she mentions she walks the road to the church after winter has waned and is led to some other soldiers, some people think that those soldiers are already dead, and herself and her child are also dead. Because upon walking in that world, she sees her husband, and her son lisps his name. And it's only upon waking up in that world that the snow rose lies on the child's head. The way I read it is that she saw another soldier on her way to church, reminded of her husband, fainted, and dreamed of him and her child. What are your thoughts? Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this different kind of episode. If you want to listen to this episode without sound, I'll upload that version as well. Because I know that not everyone wants to listen to music whilst they listen to poems. The music I chose could be distracting for some people, and I'm conscious of that. So right after this upload, expect another one, with the link to it in the episode notes of this one. So my question today is, which poem was your favourite? I'm torn between the live picture poem and a ballad of John Silver. But each poem today had its own charm. And speaking of charm, mates, are my Patreon supporters... And it's my pleasure now to thank the legends that keep this podcast going. Ad-free and always growing, thanks to you lot. If you want to support the show, visit my Patreon to see what's on offer at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. Dead easy, mates. Now, in the spirit of doing something different, and that sort of different is poetry, I've enlisted artificial intelligence to create your poems. It sounds simple, folks, but it's not. It required a series of nouns and adjectives, a lot of them, and multiple preset verses, with unique variables all in a fine balancing act. The result, mates, are what you'd expect. <laughs> a mixture of short and sweet poems written by AI. First up, Matthew J. Bauer. When vodka disagrees. Because I could not distill potatoes, it did kindly distill for me. Oh, vodka, you're so tasty, but please don't distill without me. I don't like the fact that vodka decided to distill itself, and before I learned to distill it, was scarily before it could drink itself. Ah, yes, artificial intelligence, I love it. It's like walking blindly into a forest full of potholes. <laughs> Either way, Matt, I hope you enjoyed your short little poem there. Now for Maya, that cat. Whose cat is that? I think I know. Its owner is quite happy, though. Full of joy like a vivid rainbow, I watch him laugh, I cry hello. He gives his cat a shake and laughs until her belly aches. The only other sounds the break of distant waves and birds awake. The cat is fairy, cute and deep, but he has promises to keep. After cake and lots of sleep, sweet dreams come to him, cheap. He rises from his gentle bed with thoughts of kittens in his head. He eats his jam on his bread, ready for the day ahead. And that is your tale. That cat, Maya. And Solstra, the artist. An artist holds their pen to a paper worn and travelled with papers counting ten and the colours all scrambled. To say that they are an artist is to speak of the whole truth and bring about the spark of this wonderfully talented youth. In knowing this lovely artist is to reach out to the stars and understand their drawings of the beginning, future and past. 
Now that one, they nailed. Mates, I hope you enjoyed your poems and thank you so much as always for your support. There's been a solid amount of response in placing these thank yous at the end of these episodes and I'll continue on this path for now. I am always listening to the polls and emails from my Patreons and from listeners. But a special thank you to you Patreons that have put their feedback in already. And you three, as expected, gave me your responses quite quickly. And I really appreciate that. Thanks, mates. Now for my awesome white tea warlords. I own cows of men. There is a man often known to keep, the people who are unruly and constantly speak. The rules are very simple to most who work with them, and that nothing needs be broken or bruised. Just listen and you'll learn. One thing you must remember in working with this person is never be annoying, belligerent, or fervent. Rest assured that your livelihood and spirit carries on, that I own cows is always here, and that his patience bustles on. And Lee Bauer, First Steps Discipline is never for the weak or faint of heart. Never does this man Lee Bauer stop or start. When asked how he does it, how he maintains a strong stance of mind, to withstand the pressures and heart attack of time. It's simple Lee speaks plainly, often calmly to himself, that never does he worry for his spirit or his health. So spirit guides one person with a compass true and through. Never rely on guidance from the bottom of a shoe. But what Lee often mentions and gives merit when it's due, a spirit left wanting, a soul wandering through. That if you're healthy-minded, your spirit is healthy too. Thank you both, mates. Took me a couple of tries to get all those poem variables aligned, but I think it's nailed it in the end. Thank you both for being amazing and supporting this podcast, mates. Really, you're awesome. And of course, my brilliant Earl Grey Enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Grisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Ofelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, and Tristan Cassidy. Mates, thank you all for listening. If you get a chance, leave a review on my iTunes page, or if you want to throw some love my way, visit my Patreon and support the show. I'll be using those donations to spearhead some projects which are in progress at the moment. Stay tuned, of course, and this Friday, I'll definitely be bringing horror your way. So strap yourself in, mates. As always, you brilliant listeners, till next we meet.